Welcome to the Wicked Library season finale. I normally don't talk here because I know you guys want to get to the story. So we're going to make this really quick. I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you to all of you for listening to the show for season six. I want to give a big thank you to the writers, the composers, and of course, the artists that create the artwork, the stories, and the music that accompanies it. Nobody makes any money on this show, folks. This is all done as a labor of love. This is a not-for-profit venture. We do this to help you find great horror writers, artists, and composers. So I got to beg you, please support their work. That's how they make their money. Beyond that, the best way to support this show is to give us a star rating in iTunes and write a short review of the show. It helps other listeners like you find the show. We've had a lot of great growth this season, and we're going to have some amazing things for you in Season 7. Do make sure to stay tuned at the end of this show. There is a great interview with Jessica McHugh and also a special excerpt from Queen of the Black Coast. It is the first Conan the Barbarian story, and it's narrated by the creator of this show, Nelson W. Piles. So without further ado, let's get wicked. Warning. The Wicked Library contains adult themes, adult situations, adult language and graphic depictions of terror, bloodshed, the occasional possession, and your future trips to your psychiatrist, so he or she can assure you it's only a story. This podcast is intended for mature audiences only. You've been warned, kiddies. (laughs) Hello, kiddies. Have a seat and relax. I am your librarian. There's nothing to be afraid of. Hold on to yourselves, boys and ghouls. This is going to be a dark ride. We'll leave the lights on for now. No talking. It's story time at the Wicked Library. (laughs) Hello, kiddies. This is your librarian. And of course, I wouldn't miss the season finale of the Wicked Library. After all, I have a certain stake in this show, and it's directly in my little black heart. <laughs> well, boils and ghouls, this early has been a season for change, hasn't it? And what's looming on the horizon? but season seven. Yet with all this change, one thing has remained the same. We've really enjoyed scaring the hell out of you. (laughs) So, what shall we do this time? Oh, I know. Our favorite author, Jessica McHugh. Did you know that Jessica McHugh is the only author that has appeared in every season of the Wicked Library? Sometimes multiple episodes featuring our pal Jess. Well, 
let season six be no different. And I can't think of a better author to close the casket, I mean chapter, for season six. (laughs) Our first little number is a darling little story called Take All Your Belongings. Her eyes meet mine, then flick away like she caught me breastfeeding dead piglets. The woman's pantsuit flaps against her wayfish body as she rushes down the aisle, fingers clenching her purse strap and gaze darting. With a panicked huff, she chooses a seat beside a slight man in denim cutoffs, rather than the red vinyl oasis beside me. Flushed but smiling, she exchanges a glance with her new friend and is pleased to have survived the first difficult decision of the day. I've gotten the tit piglet brush off many times before. In one month of riding the train, it has become obvious, though I've exchanged nary a word with these people, that I am an unwelcome stranger on the red line to Falls Church. I do my best to shrug off their assessments. As I spend less than two collective hours with these morning and afternoon shadows, rarely a face repeating... They are less important to me than the towering upskirt escalator that whisks me from the track. They are nothing. They are scenery. They are hazards of the train. Or were until last week. Now, at the end of my internship, they haunt me with side eyes, like flipbook warnings they aren't qualified to offer. Still... I contemplate their rejections like they matter, and I catalog them here, as requested. I have noted at least seven distinct varieties of dirty look one can receive while riding the train. Several tie heavily into race and gender, to alive and shifting parts of me that can be boasted or downplayed, the latter of which holds sexuality as a balloon on a prolonged stretch of twine, like a delicacy I'm trying to hide from the older, wiser, better kids. Age is a factor, though I assume most guess me younger, as is my physical attractiveness. I've yet to fathom how fuckability enters into choosing our morning ghosts. My adornments matter too, as they pertain to my tattoos and clothing, all serving as annoying reminders of just how fucking bright pink can be. Passengers are unsure, offended, and suspicious as they scan me, but are content once they walk by. They grab poles or sweaty ceiling loops and surrender themselves to the wobble of the train's troubled belly, while my scarlet lily pad floats in awkward dismissal. The daggers are double at the week's launch. Monday is a mangy bitch with a homicidal asterisk, and my embellishments call attention to the shit these strangers track around for the rest of the day. I could attribute my neighborless ride to several things, two of which include the left and right sides of my shaved head. 
the top as well, which I braid and pin in a tight emerald hedgerow, like a loaf of holabread past its expiration. Beyond cropped, beyond girly, beyond normal, the style frets faces with confusion, even offense, as if this particular plate threatens divine foundations. It could be the book I'm reading, I suppose. A copy of Thomas Harris's Red Dragon, rain-wrinkled and sunburnt, though I suspect the strangers are less afraid of the novel and more of the grin it inspires as I absorb Francis Dollarhide's vicious soliloquies. My mouth stretches in pink glee, like I might learn something from his becoming. The notion that this novel is more instruction than fiction flames in an old man's squinted gaze and catches fire, tearing through the car, until every rider shares one horrendous truth. I opt for the shadows. Not for their summer shade, but because shadows swallow the flicker of premeditation in my stare. It's a silly, covert conclusion nearly all make, but one of the few I can dispute. But maybe it's my nail polish. My nails never look done, because they were done so long ago they've devolved into shredded blue squares befitting a toddler, rather than someone wearing at least 25 years. They scream lazy and dirty and indifferent to the tired and true norms of good old society. But by this report, it's obvious I care a great deal about what this society thinks of me. Or, at the very least, I wonder why these strangers' eyes cut to my guts, assign various tumors and malignant shades, and care not about the withering or agony. They care rather about its communicability. Individuality is a disease especially on an 8 a.m. commute. From my tattooed skin, rainbowed with rebellion, to my bejeweled sandals chewed by apathy, I'm not who they want me to be. If we all have to be here, hearsed to our various adulthoods, we should all be the same manner of ghosts, nebulous and forgettable. I could list out dozens of reasons these people don't want to share a seat with me let alone risk grazing my brazenly exposed summer thigh. Maybe I smell. Maybe I breathe too loudly. Maybe my mascara has melted and run. I admit I haven't mastered this bizarre human decor and don't intend to. Maybe I resemble an art project gone wrong. Or worse art conveying exactly what my dreggish artist intended. But there's another explanation here. A simpler, cleaner reason why these sweethearts of the rails would avoid a green devil like me. And the blame is solely mine. Like matte black thread stitching my expression, my stature, even the way I hold my arms, crossed limply over my lap. The words on my face say in no uncertain terms... I wish to be alone. I don't feel like I've chosen a hostile costume. But each day, it must choose me. My shorn hair 
reveals a pattern on my scalp only they can see. A veined collage of caged hells where I keep the acerbic assholes who would dare occupy my empty vinyl island. It breeds in my creases. It kicks up my voracious reader grin and my bright heavy earrings, which swing like manifestos of my gaudy rebellion. Threats lie here, too, in this chicken-scratch notebook, where I can only be writing about them. Here, I construct ballrooms of death and disembowelment, and I dance the pen as I dance in blood over the empty seats of the world, my brutality as effortless as manifesto earrings. No one cheers when I leave. Staring is more polite, especially the kind that rises with me, clinging like wet silk to my thighs as I peel myself from the seat and flash 9am scandals of the worst, such dewy, secret skin. I catch them staring. Women stare longest at the gash flash, meeting my eyes only momentarily as I tug the shorts back into place. The glance is nothing, really, but it's long enough for me to read their minds. It's odd how quickly accidental flirtations with sweat and gravity can transform you into a slut. I wonder if their labels would change if they knew my vagina isn't functional, or even a vagina. Even if they hate me for it, their eyes stay and float with me to the exit as they whisper. Another polite and effective way of letting a stranger know you're glad it's the end of her line. I don't follow through on my hair's threats. My earrings don't explode gaudy shrapnel through the car. My reading material hasn't led to their mutilations, and my bare, sweaty flanks haven't launched an assault as they spread. The train's available virtue has yet to be consumed, but it's not outside the realm of possibility. I haven't hurt them this time. I might have even skipped the directive entirely, chosen the orange line or the blue, but I've spent so much time with the Red Defaults Church heard their complaints and fears and absorbed them like gauze to a flesh wound. It's understandable I'd form an attachment. The handbook warned me about such a thing. But their killer? No. That's what they can't comprehend. They see me and dread I'll be the one to unzip their vulnerabilities, exposing them to corruption, violation, individuality. But it was never my intention. Nor that of my superiors. But the red is the one. Short though it is, shortest to ride, biggest impact, they say. I never pretended to understand, and it's not my place to do so. I'm here only to collect. The signs will be clear on the day. They won't come in the form of green braids or tattoos or even exposed flaps of assumption. The signs will be grease, delays, one-track mornings, screams, fire, and the last gasp before oxygen is a relic. But before that, I'll give them one big gift. I will give them the gift of knowing they were right about me, and the penalty for it will be dying before they can spread the stereotype. They will relax when it happens, 
And though I'm sure their theories and blame will fall upon my clothes and my incomplete nails, it has nothing to do with me. I come only to watch them go, to guide them out of solitude into true belonging. They can't understand this yet, but they will. I'm not the danger. I'm not a stranger, and I'm not on this train. But I am unwelcome, because I'm along for the ride. Your stop is coming. Mr. Librarian said I could say hello and tell you to come visit me at victoriasmith.com sometime. My building may be old and dark, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> there are nine floors, and each one takes you to a very different place. I think you'll be surprised by just where my lift can go. Most people can't find you, but you will. I'm waiting for you. I think you'll have a lot of fun here too. Unless you make the wrong choice. <laughs> well, let's have another one by Jessica McHugh. This one is called Tyler Returned. Janie, will you please eat something? Please? Maybe later, okay? Are you comfortable? Would you like a blanket? You look cold, Janie. Are you cold? Do you need a blanket? No, thank you, she replied softly, wrapping her arms around her legs. Are you sure? Yes, Adam, I'm sure. He kissed the top of her head. And although she smiled, she didn't look up. She simply smoothed her hair and squeezed her legs tighter. I'm going to the store for some cigarettes. Need anything? No, thank you. Okay. I shouldn't be gone long. Adam bent down to kiss her again, but when she preemptively started to fix her hair, he backed off with a sigh. He headed out the door without another word, and as he drove to the store... His thoughts throttled the backs of his eyes. There was so much pain in thinking about his dear, fragile wife. She was so distant, so tortured, and he felt absolutely powerless to help her. It wrenched his heart to pieces to watch her shrink away from his touch. He wanted so badly to hold her, to console her, to make her understand that these things just happen. Children die all the time. He still hadn't cried. What difference would that have made? His son would still be dead, and he would have spent even more money on tissues. Men keep it together. Men keep it quiet. He knew it wasn't the healthiest way to get through, but he didn't know any other way. He had to be strong for Janie. Someone had to. 
she was so fragile. Someone had to be her barracks. He had known death before, but not close death. Not death that ripped so sizable a chunk out of his soul. But the emptiness in Janie's soul was larger, deeper. He could live with the hole in him. Maybe not happily, but he could survive. Janie couldn't. So, he held it together. Even when those violent surges of remembering whispered, You have no son. And threatened to knock out his knees and send him sobbing to the floor. He found a wall to collapse against. And occasionally, to create a hole of his own in the plaster. He knew Janie would need more time than him. But the longer it took, the angrier he became. He couldn't explain it and he didn't want it. But he couldn't bring himself to grin his way through the sickening knots of rage in his gut. He tried his best, but the harder he tried, the worse she seemed to get. She became more and more withdrawn. And beyond his rage, Adam really began to fear for her. He was afraid that if he gave her space, she might become accustomed to loving solitude more than she loved him. He believed that isolation would only sustain her grief. She needed to go out to participate in life again. And then, maybe when the time was right, they could try to have another baby. Tyler could never be replaced, but another baby could be good for them. In time, she could be happy again. She could get on with her life. With our life, he sighed as he pulled up to Cozy's corner store. He pushed open the door, and the brass bell above his head signaled his arrival, abruptly waking the elderly clerk dozing on the counter. He snorted and blinked dazedly. And as Adam strolled in, he began smoothing his clothes and hair with scores of apologies. No worries, Mikey. It's not like I'm the president or anything. Store policy says that we treat everyone like the president. How do you do, Adam? It's been a while. Oh, you know. It's Janie. She's so... Well, you know. Adam replied as he ran his hand through his astonishing crop of orange hair. Doing any better? Doesn't seem like it. She just sits around all day looking out the window. She doesn't speak. She hardly eats. Frankly, I'm at a loss. Things will turn around. I'm certain of it. When my Ellie passed, I was quiet for a time too. Try not to worry so much, Mikey replied. And when he smiled... The deep crow's feet beside his eyes actually gave him a youthful glimmer. Now what can I do for you? Cigarettes, please. Two packs, he said, and handed over his money. Out of ten dollars? Ten cents is your change. And there you go. Is there anything else I can get you? Anything for Janie? No, thanks. I'm afraid you don't sell what she needs, Adam murmured. Just then, he felt something tugging at his pant leg. He looked down to see a black kitten pawing at his cuff. 
looking up at him with large emerald eyes and a permanent grin. Hello there, little guy, Adam warbled as he reached down and plucked the kitten from the floor. Who's this little rascal? Just some stray? He's been hanging around for a couple of months now, just wandering in and out. I don't mind him, though. Never does no harm. Adam cradled the kitten in his arms, stroking its head and scratching beneath its chin as a joyful purr vibrated against his fingers. Well, he seems to have taken a liking to you. It appears so, Adam said. His brow crinkled when he noticed the kitten's unusual coloration. Well, that's strange, isn't it? He's all black except for this one small patch of white on his side. You see? I've never seen that before on a cat. Only one little spot of white. Hey, I think I have a solution to your problem with Janie, Mikey chirped. When Ellie passed, I got old Oscar, my bloodhound. He's been the best friend a guy could have. Pets are like that, you know? You can talk to them about whatever you want, and they never judge you. Maybe you'd like to take that cat home. Maybe Janie would warm up to it and get back to her old self again. Yeah, that's a good idea. But I don't know, Adam said. As he patted the kitten's head, its ears flattened in anticipation of his touch. Its eyes disappeared to slits, and its smile lengthened in delight. Come on, son. What harm could it do? I suppose you're right. It's worth a shot anyway. All right. I'll take the cat with me. Thanks, Mikey. No problem. You give Janie my best, you hear? You tell her I miss her face around here. And as for you, little kitty, Mikey started, pointing at the wide-eyed feline. Don't you go causing any trouble for these folks. The cat tilted its head to the side and blinked slowly as if to say, I understand. Thanks again, Mikey, Adam said as he walked out with the kitten curled up in his arms. When he got home, Janie was still crunched up in her recliner, staring out the window. She didn't even turn to acknowledge his presence. Sweetheart, I have a present for you, Adam cooed. What is it? She asked stiffly. He placed the kitten in her lap, and for a moment... Both Janie and the cat seemed frozen by one another's curious stares. That's strange. He seemed very personable before. When she shakily reached out, the kitten stretched to meet her hand. After bumping his head against her fingers, he began to knead her legs. It was as if Janie, who had been made of ice, suddenly felt the warmth of a long-forgotten sun. Her face and body softened with a gasp. And with the kitten cradled in her arms, she planted thankful kisses on its cheeks. Oh, my baby! My sweet baby boy! Where have you been? She exclaimed with her face buried in soft black fur. Janie? Tyler! My baby! My sweet baby boy! She cried with tears rolling over the kitten's fur and beaded streams. Janie, no, Adam said as he snatched the cat away from her. This isn't Tyler, honey. 
This is a cat. Do you understand? It's just a cat. It's not Tyler. No, Adam. Please give him back to me. Give me my baby, please. Tyler wants his mommy, she shouted, arms outstretched and fingers wriggling to reach the kitten. Janie, this is not Tyler. But the white patch. He has a white patch, a birthmark, just like Tyler had in his hair. One white spot in all that black. The cat has it too. Please, Adam, you have to believe me. It's my baby. He's come back to me. Janie jumped out of the chair, ripped the cat out of Adam's arms, and retreated to the corner where she stood, cowering and clutching. Her Tyler returned. That is not Tyler, Janie. Please don't tell me you really believe what you're saying. You never believed in him. This is so messed up, Janie. This is... I thought this would help. It has. It really has. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for bringing him back to us, she said. There is no bringing him back. Our son was hit by a car, Janie. Our son is dead. No. No, no, Adam. You know this is Tyler. You must know, she sobbed. Tyler, my poor baby Tyler, you mustn't blame your daddy for being skeptical. He doesn't know you the way I know you. I know you're my son. I know it. I know it. Come on, Tyler. Let's get you some food. Janie set the kitten on the floor, and he immediately began circling her legs, mewing and purring and tugging at her pants. You must be starving. Come on, Tyler. Chow time, Janie said. And as she walked merrily into the kitchen, Tyler trotted just as merrily at her heels. That's not Tyler, Janie, Adam growled as he slumped down into the recliner and massaged his temples. Keep your voice down. You're going to give him a complex. Oh, for heaven's sakes, Janie. Shh. He's trying to enjoy his meal. Adam was at a loss. Catatonic or raving, his wife still seemed helpless, or at least unwilling to accept the help he wanted to give. That night, Tyler was set up in his old room, and Janie stayed awake for hours reading stories and singing lullabies while she rocked him to sleep. Meanwhile, Adam sat in the master bedroom, chain-smoking and listening to his wife's madness. Everything's like it was when you left. Everything's the same, she sang. You'll never leave me again, will you, baby? (sighs) I think I liked it better when she was quiet all the time. He murmured, exhaling the smoke loudly to drown out the lunacy. Over the next couple of weeks, there was never a moment when Janie and the cat were apart, except for the five minutes when Tyler ran out an open door and towards the road. Janie caught him at the curb and carried him yowling back into the house. 
No, Tyler. Not out there. Not again. No. I won't let you leave me again, she sobbed. When Adam tried to console her, she slapped him away. You think I'm crazy, don't you? I'm not crazy. My baby needs me, and I need him. I need him, not you. Don't touch me, Adam. I can feel your judgment when you touch me. Wounded by her words, and enraged that her delusional love for the cat overpowered her love for him, Adam decided it was his husbandly duty to intervene. Sometimes, people recognize when they're on the brink. Sometimes, not. Adam recognized it immediately. But he still allowed himself to topple over the edge. All he had to do was wait for Janie to feel comfortable enough to allow distance between her and the cat. It took time, but eventually, Janie could shower without Tyler locked in the bathroom with her. Instead, he slept just outside the door. Occasionally, she grew paranoid enough that she would jump out mid-shower to make sure his body was still huddled against the crack between the door and carpet. It was a kink in Adam's plan, but one he could sidestep. One morning, while she was in the shower, he made his move. He couldn't deny the sense beating at the back of his brain, begging him to stop, but it was firmly locked behind grief-turned-madness. As it turned out, he and Janie had more in common than he'd originally thought. Paranoia plucked Janie from the shower, but she discovered Tyler's body was in its usual place against the door. Something seemed off, though. He was there, but when she tried to open the door, he didn't budge. She whistled and called his name, but there was no response. Her pulse accelerated to a panicked flutter that, with one final push, peaked painfully in her chest at seeing the pile of black socks balled up against the door. She screamed Tyler's name as she threw on her robe, but dashing past the bedroom window, she caught a glimpse of something strange. Adam was outside, walking toward the highway that ran behind their house. That was strange enough, but even stranger was the bundle he carried in his arms. She saw the blanket first, and what it was wrapped around second, and her scream rang out third. Adam turned and saw her standing in the window with tear-stained cheeks, shaking her head pleadingly. He shook his head, too. And though it was more apologetic than pleading, there was a pride in him that dried her tears with the furious heat that flared in her cheeks. She tore through the house like a bat out of hell, screeching and clawing at the air as if it could pull her forward even faster. Adam stood on the edge of the highway with the cars and trucks zipping by, only mere feet away. He outstretched his arms and held the dangling kitten out as if in a sacrifice. 
Adam, no, please don't. Don't hurt my baby. Jamie shrieked as she ran toward him. It's not your baby, Janie. It's not our baby, he replied calmly. When she came to a panting stop, he whipped around and met her tearful gaze. Don't you understand, Janie? It's just a cat. No, Adam, please, no. This is for your own good, Janie. You're sick. You need help, he said, facing the road again. Why won't you let me help you? I love you so much. I just want to help you. I want to make you better again so we can start over. I want that so much, Janie. I want to be a family again. We can, Adam. Just give Tyler to me. Everything can be like it was, she pleaded with open arms. No, it can't. Not until this cat is gone. After he's gone, you can start getting healthy again. We can move on. We can forget all about this. Forget about Tyler. No, you'll never make me forget, she screeched. I will never give him up. He's mine, now and forever. And if you don't give him to me, you'll regret it. Just do the right thing and give him to me. I can't do that, Janie, he sighed. He grasped Tyler by the scruff of his neck. And as he held him aloft, a low growl rumbled in the kitten's throat. Say goodbye to insanity, Janie. When she screamed her dead son's name, the kitten twisted in Adam's hand and swiped at his arm. The claw dug deep into his wrist and tore the skin so deeply that the cut immediately began to weep blood and itch like mad. Tyler fell, landing on all fours and promptly running to Janie. But Adam also recovered quickly and took off after him. No! You leave my baby alone, Adam! Jamie cried. She charged at him, hurling her body against his and sending him staggering backwards onto the highway. He shook his head in bewilderment, giving no notice to the frenzied squeals of tires bearing down on him. In the last second before impact, Adam screamed, but it was soon silenced. Although Janie's stifled sob was the echo to the madness she was soon silenced as well by the small meow that seemed to say, It's over now, Mama. Let's go home. The world went crazy for a while. There were flowers and plenty of food. There were mood-boosting cards and ones that would have made her feel even worse if Tyler wasn't so good at kneading her into a smile. She was sad to lose Adam, but not for long. Just a few months later, she emerged from her mourning den and greeted the day with no more grief. She made her way down to Cozy's Corner store, nodding happily to each person who passed, and Tyler skipping at her heels. Hello, Mikey, she sang as she burst through the door. Well, hello, Miss Janie. Don't you look lovely today. Get your hair done? Oh, no, just trying something new. What can I get for you? Well, I'm going to need milk. 
lots of milk, and five cans of tuna fish. No, better make it ten cans, she replied. Ten cans? Most of the luncheon? Oh, no, it's not for me, she pointed down at Tyler, who mewed as he circled her legs. Well, hello there. You're going to eat ten cans of tuna, little fella, Mikey cooed. Oh, goodness, no, it's not all for him. We actually have a new addition to the family. I just found him today. He came all the way back, just like Tyler did. Just like I knew he would. Janie stepped aside, and there, cowering behind her legs, stood a large tabby with astonishingly orange fur. Stay tuned for our interview with the author in just a moment. Today's episode featured stories by Jessica McHugh, Take All Your Belongings, and Tyler Returned. If you'd like more information on Jessica and her work, please visit her at jessicamchughbooks.com and find her on Twitter at TheJessMcHugh. Artwork for today's show was created by Jeanette Andromeda. If you'd like more information on Jeanette and her work, please visit her at horrormade.com and follow her on Twitter at horror underscore made. You can also hear Jeanette and I discussing stories and storytelling with those who create them over on the Ninth Story podcast, which is at podcast.ninthstory.com. She is my co-host for season four. Musical score for today's show is provided by Nico Viteze of We Talk of Dreams, wetalkofdreams.com. Don't forget to visit our sponsors and friends of the show, like We Talk of Dreams, Stigmata Studios, HorrorMade.com, Shadows at the Door, Cathedral Sounds, Sanitarium Press, Rickert and Beagle Books. You can find links to their websites in the show notes for today's episode. Please share the terror. Share the show. Help us grow. The best support you can give us is to rate and write a short review of the show in iTunes. Leaving a star rating and a short review is totally free, and it means a lot to us. You can do that at iTunes.TheWickedLibrary.com. Don't let the librarian find out that you didn't. Follow us on Twitter at Wicked Library. Find us on Facebook and subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play. We are everywhere. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter to get great prizes, bonus content. You can also get a story a month during our break. Sign up now over at thewickedlibrary.com. Don't forget to stay tuned past the interview for an excerpt from Queen of the Black Coast narrated by Nelson W. Piles. And now, Jessica McHugh. So Nelson told me to tell you hello before I did anything else. Yay! Hi, Nelson! (laughs) (laughs) So I thought this would be kind of fun because... um, you know, you were the you were the first two stories of the season, and, and yeah. you're the last two stories of the season. Yeah, so. it's so awesome. It's like a bookend, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm excited. <laughs> so at this point, everybody's heard your story, and or stories, I should say. So I thought maybe we'd talk a little bit about them and, and kind of, you know, where where why they were important stories for you to tell, because we all know that when you write a story, a lot of them end up 
not you, but you know, the big you, when, oh, yeah. you, when you write a story, some, some of them end up, you just go, eh, you know what? That's, that's just for me. I'm not going to yeah, use that. There's one. always some you residue. Right. <laughs> so in, in these two stories there, they obviously were good enough that we brought them to the light of day and we shared them and created them and made everybody love them. So um, <laughs> why were, why were these important stories for you to tell? And I guess maybe we'll start with take all your belongings. It started just kind of as a time killer. I was on the train. I, I had not really done a lot of riding the metro um, in my life. Actually, I kind of used to give me just anxiety thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but I got a, a job teaching kids uh, last year in D.C. So I was taking the metro and I, I just started noticing that um, people did not sit near me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I just kept wondering why this was and yeah. basically was kind of killing time and just writing stream of consciousness kind of stuff, listing all the reasons why people might not <laughs> want to sit next to me, which I know sounds horribly self-destructive. Um, but what came of it was me creating a character that is asking these reasons, but are asking these questions, but also has um, and just kind of sounds like an anxiety ridden uh, <laughs> normal person. Yeah. Um, but then has deeper reasons for actually being on the train. Yes. Uh, so it, it turned from just kind of a way for me to get out my stress about being on the train into like a, a nice little sci-fi story that I, I very much or sci-fi horror-ish kind of story that I enjoyed. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a cool story. And what I like about it, and, and I like this about a lot of things that you write actually is that you can take it a couple of different ways. And I, I mean, I guess that's kind of true for a lot of stories. But the way that you've structured it, it, it kind of lends itself to that. Exactly. Know, yeah. I was talking to the composer that, you know, is writing the, the background music for your stories. <laughs> and that's something new from from the beginning so of the season. Awesome. Yeah. Now, so cool. <laughs> every story gets a custom score now. So it's a lot less work for me. And it's it's so much better for the stories <laughs> yeah, uh, because so I'm, awesome. I'm not a musician. So, you know, that's always a struggle for me. Yeah, I, I I think I'm a musician, but I am super <laughs> <laughs> really not. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a karaoke girl, I guess. <laughs> well, that's that's fine. I do that too. Yeah. <laughs> so so our composer and music director Nico, he he sent me a message uh, over the weekend, and he's like, you know, I'm I'm a little confused on this story because it could go a couple of different ways. Is this like a Grim Reaper type of situation? Is this like an alien invasion? Is this person just nuts? I'm like, <laughs> what do you think? Because yeah. <laughs> it really, I could read it any of those three ways that, you know, yeah, and I really like to do that. And that's definitely something I get with um, like my novel rabbits in the garden mm -hmm. that ends on a very ominous kind of note where you could take it many different ways. And I always get questions about it. And I'm like, well, what do you think? Think it is yeah and then they're like well i think it's this i'm like well then that's what it is <laughs> right yeah it, it's and i don't think that you should you should always know exactly what the author was intending right. um because a lot of times i'm not even sure until i read a story several times that i've written and i'm like okay maybe i'm i am leaning that this is happening but who knows i also like to be a little bit to play around and you know maybe it means a certain thing maybe it means something else yeah 
That's well, the fun. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that's the cool part about writing something stream of consciousness like that is mm-hmm. there's probably stuff in there that when you were writing it, you didn't even realize you were putting in there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it was it was one of those things where I was writing it on the train, just kind of getting it out. And then by the time I got to work, like I still had the notebook under my arm because I like, you know, got to my stop. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Get off here. Um, and I, I went immediately to the bathroom and like finished writing. I'm like, I have to wait. That's tremendous. That's tremendous. I'm the worst teacher. <laughs> well, no, you know, it's funny because I'm I'm a very strong believer that like when the muse comes, the muse comes. And, yeah, you know, yeah. not to not, not to, you know, go down the road of like there's this entity out there. But, you know, whatever is inspiring you at that moment, whenever you're in that zone, it's mm-hmm. if you try to pick that up again later, it's not going to be there. At least that's been my experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had to drag that muse off the train with me and. <laughs> Just drag that bitch into the bathroom, <laughs> hold her down with my foot. I'm like, you're here. <laughs> I'll tell you when you can go. <laughs> That's tremendous. <laughs> you have the other one, Tyler Returned. Yeah. Which, so thank you so much It's uh, for putting it on the Wicked Library. It's such an honor to have something. I'm actually looking at the first draft of it right now. <laughs> I saw you post that earlier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's been around in my life from the from when I was uh, 19 and really seriously started writing short stories. And it has, uh, I mean, it's been accepted for publication at two different places and both places like went, they went under. So oh, no. it's cursed. <laughs> so sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Well, that's why we're doing it as the last show of the season. We'll have three months to recover from yeah. that. No, but it was, uh, it's just funny because, uh, so Tyler would have, for anyone who doesn't know, Tyler was my cat Mm -hmm. who, um, I got in 2001. So he would have been, uh, less than two years old when I wrote this story. That's how cool he was. Yeah. He dug himself in deep really quick. Um, but it was, uh, it was, I was reading a lot of Raul Dahl at the time. Oh yeah, you can, and, I could uh, definitely feel that when I was when yeah. I was reading the story. <laughs> I was I was just burning through all of his short story collections and uh so all of the stories that I wrote uh during that time had a very kind of macabre <laughs> fun little raw doll twist to yeah. them. And uh yeah, this one was was definitely one of my favorite. I think it was the third short story I wrote. Like really? When I, started, when I started writing, wow. and uh, it, it's it's one of my favorites. As compared, I mean, there are a lot of stinkers in this first <laughs> notebook. <laughs> Some really, right. really bad ones, but I really liked that one always, and it it always was really close to my heart. And now that Tyler has passed, yeah, it uh, you know, feels kind of appropriate to have him return. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it was a, it's a great story. I mean, if this is a very early story, it's I can definitely hear. Your voice in it. And I, re- I rewrote it much, you know, a, a couple of years ago, I revised it and kind of tore it apart because, you know, there are, there are some stories that you read from, you know, years and years ago and you're like, oh my God, this, I hope this never sees the light of day. <laughs> Jesus right. fuck. So many, so many bad stories. But, but this was one of the ones I'm like, if I can salvage this, I would really, really like to, because yeah. it was always one that I, I liked a lot. So I was glad that I was able to save it a little bit from itself (laughs) you know it's it's funny because when i'm in a story you go with the emotions but there's this is one of the stories that really 
in several in several places made me feel very very uncomfortable. And yeah. I guess that's a compliment because that's what you were going for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, it feels like she's nuts, you know, and yeah. you're right yeah. there with with her, her husband. And you're like, oh, what ha- what do you do in this situation? Yeah. Yeah. I felt when I was writing the, the husband character, Adam, I was I felt very much like I was him mm-hmm. um, and not her. So I was very much like reacting, like if I was married to somebody and they started doing this, you know, how, how would I react? And I, my reaction would be, oh my God, what the fuck? <laughs> right. I need to go get some cigarettes. <laughs> I, need to, <laughs> I need to get out of here. Hey, look, a cat. <laughs> Let's throw this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and then you get to the scene where, you know, he's, he's gone down the dark path and he's going to kill the cat. Yeah. And I always hate that in a story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's, it's one of the first things that, you know, I mean, like, Stephen King is great for that. I think he knows that it makes everybody uncomfortable. (laughs) Yes. It probably makes him very uncomfortable, too. And that's why he writes it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's usually you go to what what speaks to you. So definitely. I definitely my my personal, you know, my reaction to if someone would lo- liked their cat too much would not automatically be like, Hey, let's kill it. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would take a whole lot. Yeah. That's <laughs> that would have to be like, you know, you know, trying to poison me in my sleep or something. It would have to be revenge kill. <laughs> right. You look up and the cat's looking down at you going, ah, yes, I see what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Then again, Tyler used to put his puke paws in my mouth every morning, so Aww. that made me pretty angry, Aww. and I kept him around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's something lovable about the puke paws in the mouth. Not. Um, and then you get to the end, and this is another one of those stories where it's yeah. like, is she nuts, or is there really something going on here? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, I guess it, it just speaks to what is your belief system and, and what is your predilection for it. But Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it was a really cool wrap up. That ending is very much like that raw doll kind of thing. Right. So I you know I like to think that I I put my own spin on it, but this this more, probably more than any other story I've written really is that um, tribute kind of to raw doll that influence. Yeah, it's a very so, cool and, and, and he's my favorite writer. So yay! Excellent, excellent. <laughs> So you've done a lot of stuff since we talked last time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, a few things. A few things here. So, so how's teaching going for you? Teaching is going really well. It's it's surreal because I, you know, I don't really, I'm not a teacher. I'm, I'm an instructor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, you know, I didn't go to school for teaching or anything. But it is surprising how much it has changed my life for the better. Yeah. Being surrounded by all these kids who actually want to be there in a writing class and they want to learn and they want to explore new things. So it really is, I, I catch a bit of their spark and it makes me excited to work on my own things because yeah. they inspire me. I hope I inspire them. And it's just been really fun, even though I <laughs> like I feel like I get a little too, you know, just jokey and casual. Sometimes I forget that I'm supposed to be a grown up. <laughs> And I just start talking to them about like their boyfriends and stuff. Like, <laughs> like I kept telling them pranks I pulled on my uh, old roommate, and then by the end of class, I was like, "Ooh, maybe I shouldn't have done that." Yeah, inspiration for you, kids. Here's what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's it's really been 
an amazing thing and I'm, I'm enjoying every minute of it. I especially like the summertime when I get to be with the same kids uh, in an entire week and we get to start a new story on Monday and finish it by Friday. Oh, that's cool. That's my toast and jam. Make it, you know, be like, yes, we're going to finish the story in a week. And that's, I mean, it's not easy, but you can do it. Right. And and what are, what are the, what's the age group that you're teaching? Um, I teach eight to 18. So, I mean, wow. it, it depends on, range. It, yeah. So w- it depends on what class, who signs up and stuff. So they'll tell me I have, you know, eight to 12, eight to 10 year olds or, you know, 11 to 13 or, you know, teens or something like that. I really haven't gotten anyone over 16 yet, but I, <laughs> I think that'll be pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I get along really well with like eight to 14. <laughs> well, that's like, cool. Like for some reason, like little kids, I, I think it's just because my brain never really got past 14. Well, it's, I think it's because you're a writer and, and because, yeah. you know, I mean, they're still at that age where things are possible and they're open to ideas. You know, society hasn't beat them down and told them that, this is reality and you have bills yeah. to pay and this and that and the other thing. True. So, so yeah, I, I mean, reality. So right. <laughs> <laughs> we get along pretty well. <laughs> well, that's cool. Is, has it, has it been an influence or a help to the, the Darla Decker series that you're working oh, sure. on? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, the biggest thing I've realized is that they're just so much more mature than I even thought. Like I was, I was writing, you know, I felt the Darla kids, pretty mature for their age. Mm-hmm. And in real life, the kids are even more mature than that. They they look much older as well. I always forget that the kids aren't like 16 or something like that. Yeah. And they're 13. <laughs> um, and yeah, they're just... And, and also, I'm getting kind of um, a specialized cross-section in that they're creative writing kids mm-hmm. I'm exposed to. But they, uh, they just have a lot of really great ideas and they're really... Uh, informed about the world around them they think you know they talk about politics and stuff like that so i'm not sure they understand it but they talk about it (laughs) (laughs) they're at least aware of it yeah Yeah, i don't think i was aware of it at that age yeah no i don't think so either i think all i knew about like when i was growing up you know with bill clinton and stuff all i knew was he the like intro of him playing the sax as a cartoon on animaniacs (laughs) that's right (laughs) (laughs) That's, like, that's about all I knew. And, oh, and Phil Hartman as Bill Clinton. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. how I saw Bill Clinton was Phil Hartman. <laughs> that's tremendous. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's been it's been really fun. It's all it's been really exhausting, but yeah, it's amazing. I'm glad I have a chance to do it. That's really cool because, I mean, you know, they they I think they're all very lucky to have someone who is as talented as you and, you know, is, is as driven and knows as much about you know, rewriting and writing and rewriting a story because everybody seems to think you just sit down and write a story and it's magically wonderful. Um, oh, sure. And well, yeah, they, they think that I try to tell them things. They don't, they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> they, don't, they don't even know. <laughs> the movies are more fun whenever you just write a novel in one sitting, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I seriously have told them a million times, like all of the, all the drafts you go through and stuff. And I guess it's not true of everybody. A lot of, you know, you know, Jack Wallen, when he writes a first draft, it's like a third draft because he, you know, he doesn't, 
he does it perfect the first time, basically. Yeah. Not me. I, I put just garbage, mind garbage onto the page. I'm like, this is a story, I think, someday. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have to edit it like 8,000 times. Right. Be like, what was I trying to say? <laughs> What's the story about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've tried writing, you know, that way where you're writing each page until it's perfect. And my God, is that exhausting? I mean, oh my God. Yeah. That's, that is not how I could, I would never get, I would never finish. Yeah. I would never finish. Just keep going back and tinkering with this. It's like when I started to just write and, and let it flow is whenever yeah. you, you get all these interesting ideas and things go in directions, you're not really expecting them to. Yeah. And like a lot of times I'll write a scene, even like, you know, just describing a scene, I'll do it maybe three different ways on the same page because, you know, I have different thoughts about how to describe it. And I'm like, oh, we'll let future Jessica figure out which one works best. (laughs) Because I mean, when you're writing a first draft and when you're writing it very quickly, as I, I I try to write my first drafts very quickly because I don't want them to fall out of my head. Um, the, the characters, when you're starting the story, um, it's so wildly different from where it is at the end. And by the end, I know that I'm going to have to go back to the beginning and add in all these little hints and foreshadowing and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So for, for me, it's like I don't want to stress about the first draft. Yeah, it's it's you know, it's most of it is going to get cut or changed or anything. And uh, I just want it to flow all nice and easy and let future Jessica worry about it. <laughs> See, I really like that. I, I've said before, you know, in talking to authors that you're always becoming a better writer. And, yeah. and I think we all know that, you know, as you the more you do it, the better you get. And future Jessica is going to be a better writer and a better editor than current Jessica. Absolutely. So Absolutely. that's actually a really cool way to think about it. <laughs> Let that well, bitch I'm take care of it. Someone, yeah, I'm glad someone thinks my multiple personalities <laughs> are amusing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's awesome. Uh, so do you have a favorite thing that you're working on these days i mean i I know they're all like your kids but i mean is there something that's really you know something that's really gathering your interest and keeping you busy um i'm working on so many random things right now um but i i'm really excited for uh well i'm I'm excited for the rabbits in the garden sequel oh yeah I, i uh I'm I'm not sure. I'm in I'm in a part right now of like typing it up. I'm still typing it up from when I finished it in December. And uh I'm in a part right now that I knew I was probably going to cut when I was writing the first draft. <laughs> um but I'm typing it up anyway because it's important uh character development yeah. and stuff. So even though I'm gonna cut it, it's helpful to me. Right. Um and who knows uh what I might use it for. But I, I I there are some really great things in this book that I I really think people who liked Rabbits in the Garden and really wanted to know what happens to Avery Norton afterwards. I, I think there's gonna be some really good stuff that they're gonna like. Yeah. Um there's some rate relationships I think are very cool. Um, I explored some some new territory and totally threw myself into 1970s San Francisco uh, area, which is completely unfamiliar and terrifying <laughs> to me. <laughs> but I think I pulled it off pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, I'm still typing up the first draft, so I guess future Jessica will have to figure yeah. out if past Jessica did a good job. 
Um, Would you, did you watch lots of seventies cop shows then to prepare I, for that? Or <laughs> I watched, I did watch a lot of seventies stuff just to have it on in the background. Mm. And, uh, I, there, luckily, uh, a bunch of, uh, documentaries came out right when I was writing oh, yeah. the first draft, a lot of stuff about, um, serial killers. And, um, cause I mean, there were so, and so many around, uh, San Francisco at that time. Oh, yeah. And uh, I watched a lot of stuff about Jonestown, and oh, I listened to a lot of true crime podcasts, which I didn't know I liked true crime. Yeah. Apparently, I fucking love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I'm really excited for that. Um, it's probably going to come out late 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and plus, there's a sneak peek of it in uh, the, it's the first chapter is in the special edition of Rabbits in the Garden that's available now from Postmortem Press. Ah. So, yeah. So at least one chapter's done. Well, that's cool. <laughs> um, I've been writing 55 word stories, which are a lot of fun, that are going to be coming out from Carrie and Blue 555 press okay and uh it's going to be in volume two i think of a collection they put out called none so worthy which was a big uh anthology of different authors writing 55 55 word stories that's very cool yeah it's been a lot of fun i've been making my uh, students do it too Ah, that's <laughs> I'm cool. like, if I can teach them something about flash fiction and knock out some of my work at the same time. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Why not? That's, that's Yeah, they really like it, though. They've been having yeah. a lot of fun with it. That's cool. And, and plus, I think flash fiction is so important for kids to learn because especially where it comes to editing longer form works. Yeah. Well, how does, you know, and, and I, I was just thinking that. So how does that apply to to editing longer works to, to be good at writing those, those 55 word or that short flash fiction. How does that help you? Well, it teaches you that every word is important and every, every word you use, every sentence you use has to move the story along and, or develop uh, some of the character. So when you're only afforded 55 words, you have to choose them very carefully. Yeah. It makes your writing a lot tighter than is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. That's absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. And I, like I said, I've, I've read some, pretty amazing 55 word stories from these kids. Um, my, one of my favorites was a, uh, one of the challenges I do is the day after. So you take, uh, what are your favorite stories and, um, you write the day after the novel ends or the story. And so I was like, Hey, it could be, you know, Harry Potter saves the world. and He just naps all day. Who who knows? (laughs) 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 Whatever. But somebody did, um, they were really stressed out because they were like, did President Snow die in Hunger Games? Oh, sorry. Spoiler, anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure he dies in the end of Hunger Games. And she's like, oh. And I'm like, well, th- it doesn't matter. Just just do whatever you were going to do. Just just roll with it. And so hers was basically at the epilogue of Hunger Games, like Katniss and PETA are there with their children. It's all very happy. And then zombie President Snow comes and kills them all. <laughs> <laughs> that's tremendous. I was like, uh, I like the, the ending of Hunger Games. That's awesome. <laughs> and and a lot of the hard work is done for you. You already have established yeah. characters. You have a universe built. Basically, yes. it's just like go run with it, which is really yeah. cool. It's it's a it's a nice way to kind of ease them into you know focusing on the character in the story. Absolutely, absolutely. And I just I'm glad they've been receptive to it because a lot of these kids had never 
heard of flash fiction and it's extreme it's extremely hard at times they'll be like can oh i got 60 words can i do 60 nope <laughs> <laughs> oh i only have 50 words well sounds like you gotta add five yeah that's actually <laughs> really cool yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah it's pretty pretty awesome trying to watch them weasel out of it <laughs> <laughs> so what are some of the things that you feel that you've learned from from these kids and in, in in teaching them, because I noticed that whenever you're teaching someone something, a lot of times you learn new ways of looking at things and it kind of sets off light bulbs for you. Has that happened for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There, There is one of uh, one of the students I have. He just won a, a Scholastic Award for one of his pieces, which wow. I was. Yeah, I recommended that he submit. And yeah, it, it, it's a great story. Um, it's the most original fantasy story that I've read in years. So just reading their work has really kind of when I when I read a really beautiful passage, especially like an action scene, mm-hmm. uh, I realize how badly I write action scenes. <laughs> I was just like, wow, this really works really and you can really picture it. What the hell am I doing wrong? <laughs> And so, like, I can actually, it's it's like reading, you know, some of my, like, Roald Dahl and, and uh, any of my favorite authors and studying their work and making myself a better writer by reading established pro authors. It works because for these little, these kids, too, because they, there are some that are just naturally talented. Yeah. Way more talented than I was or I or am. Um, oh. Like, they're, they're really just light years beyond where I was at that age. And it, it's just amazing to kind of get in on the ground floor of some of these yeah. careers because <laughs> there, there are some really amazing ones here. And I mean, like you said, I just learn basic writing style from them sometimes because as much as as much as we try to shake it up as writers and stuff, we sometimes you do fall into kind of a rut. Right. And your writing will start sounding boring and stilted and you need to jump back into something new and fresh. And that's what these kids have. Yeah. They are literally <laughs> new and fresh. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, I know you've done that like by by not holding yourself to one genre and, and you know, as a, a horror writer, uh, as a speculative fiction writer for mostly adult stuff and some very adult stuff yeah. to, to jump into writing about, you know, a young girl that's coming into womanhood yeah. um, is is totally different ground, I guess. But, you know, as we discussed, I think we on, on another you know interview, we talked a little bit about how there are a lot of similarities between the two, even though it's a different genre, but yeah. it presents new challenges. And it sounds like learning from the kids is is something in that area too, where trying to get the point across to them, forcing yourself to explain it Mm -hmm. sometimes creates that, that new and fresh environment for you mentally. It is true. And and so many times I'll try to explain like a writing concept to them or, or uh, kind of something that I use to gather inspirato or find inspirato and stuff. And I never have, really said it aloud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always just something that's been in my head. So explaining it to them is really the first time that I've really explained it to myself. And I'm like, oh, 
Yeah. <laughs> like, I spend like so many people talk about process and I'm like, I don't really have a process. I just kind of write shit. But, then, <laughs> <laughs> but you like, actually do. You just don't think yeah, about yeah, it. Right. I just don't. I never really know it when anyone asks yeah. me what it is. <laughs> That's tremendous. <laughs> if I have to explain it to kids, then yeah. apparently I know what my process is. <laughs> Coming soon from Jessica McHugh, how to write a book. Yeah, right shit. That's right. Right <laughs> shit. The end. It's that easy. Yes, it's that easy. Just sit down and write. I wrote this shit yesterday. <laughs> so what are some uh, some things that you have coming up that you want folks to know about and some places where they can find and interact with you? Well, um, you can, anyone can always find me on Facebook uh, at my author page. It's facebook.com slash author dot Jessica McHugh. Or I'm sure you could just Google Jessica McHugh and find it. <laughs> M-C-H-U-G-H. Um, I know. Sometimes I say it so fast. People are like, McHugh? <laughs> <laughs> there are literally people who thought that my name was spelled Mick and then the letter Q. Really? <laughs> oh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, that guy, McHugh. Yeah, like Mick G. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so you can find me on Facebook and Twitter at the Jess McHugh. And uh, it's the same thing on Instagram. Postmortem Press has the special edition of Rabbits in the Garden. It's completely re-edited um, by Elizabeth Jenicky, who's an awesome editor. Uh, there are illustrations from Philip R. Rogers that oh. are frigging terrifying, by the way, oh my wow. gosh! When I, I I seriously almost had nightmares from one of the pictures, mostly because I don't I don't think I ever thought about having to see Faye Norton in the flesh, and it's she's a horrifying woman, and I created her, so that's even worse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that that's available from Robinson or from a Postmortem Press now, and there is a sneak peek of Hairs in the Hedgerow. Um, what else? Oh, June 9th. From Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing, The Train Derails in Boston. Nice. It's finally coming, and you will too. <laughs> <laughs> That's tremendous. Uh, yeah. So anybody who likes uh, horror that is quite disturbing with some very um, explicit sex scenes, <laughs> it's um, it's it's a big bloody fuck fest so it's like that kind of thing <laughs> yeah it's the stuff that rich our friend rich bottles jr would refer to as humor erotica <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is absolutely that that's tremendous um that's yeah that's coming from per perpetual motion um there's a gorgeous cover by dyer wilk i hope i'm saying his name right um it's it's amazing it's more than i ever envisioned that cover to be so i'm really happy about that and it's available for pre-order now at a uh, perpetual motion machine publishing.com i think i hope well, send me a link and I'll put them in the show notes. Yeah. And, and, you know, Nelson reminded me today that you are the only author who has been in every single season of the Wicked <gasps> Library thus far. What? Yeah. That's so, awesome. So so I think what we'll do is if if folks send me a message through the Wicked Library channels that they're interested, I will give up to two people a copy of your edited uh, Rabbits in the Garden. I'll pay for it. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. Because Thank you so much. Oh, it's you're such welcome. an honor. I couldn't be I can't believe I'm in all the seasons. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. And this season you were uh, actually we we did a, a little uh, rewind. 
of your, <laughs> yeah. your uh, yeah, very, right. very gross story that was fantastic. Yo, extraction. Yes, one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, I got to pick those. So I, I had a lot of fun figuring out which ones were my favorites. Over the, <laughs> and there were so many to choose from, but that one just was such a, a great, challenging story. And the way that oh. Nelson read it was, was wonderful. So I said, you yeah. know, we're, we're going to have to do this one. Oh, I, you know what? It's, it didn't even occur. I really need to make like, like a CD of all the stories. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, the, the cool thing is, is if you go over to the Wicked Library and you go to the holding pens and click on your picture. Oh, it, yeah. And that'll have all of them. Yeah. It has all your stories gathered together. So, Hell yeah. Share, you can share, have a share. Jess fest. Yeah. Everyone should go have a Jess fest. That's Ugh, right. Sounds dirty. <laughs> Doesn't it, though? <laughs> <laughs> It's like Jess all over the place. It's like a gash flash. Oh, yay, gash flash. <laughs> That's one of the other things uh, Nika said to our composer. He's like, I can't wait to hear you say that. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> and at this point, everybody's heard it. So I hope you, everybody loved it. Yeah, I hope so, too. <laughs> gash flash. <laughs> well, I, I want to say thank you so much. I really appreciate you letting me do two of your stories to kick off my first season as host for the Wicked Library and and for agreeing to let me do two more to bookend the season. Uh, I couldn't think of anybody better to start and end my season with for, you know, for the Wicked Library. So I, I really appreciate so, it. I, I'm just so honored to be a part of what has been an amazing show and so many cool episodes and like and you're, you've been amazing this season. Well, thank you. Yeah, there you've had a really great lineup this season and it's been really exciting. Yeah, I sat down and I went through the numbers the other day with Nelson and I said, "Well, you know, after Jess's story airs, I will have done 39 shows for season 6. Wow. Uh 31 of them were all new episodes." So That's I, I amazing. <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to have quite that work <laughs> for next season. But, I, I, mean, I think I might take it a little easier. You deserve to take a little bit of a rest. <laughs> yeah. Well, this will be it's so cool. Yeah. Congratulations. Well, it's really you. an excellent season. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun to do. And and on top of that, you know, obviously I've been doing the lift. Yeah. And uh, that's been growing really well. So that's yeah. something that'll keep the listeners tied it over, tied it over for a short period of time. Uh, there's four more of those that I'm going to do this season. And then oh. we're going to take a break for, for the lift too to come back for season two. Um, Four more people. Get on it. That's right. (laughs) Got to catch up. That's right. It's time to binge. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I thank you again for taking so much time. I know you have other interviews scheduled tonight. You're a popular lady. (laughs) I'm not sure if it's that or people just want to hear if I'm going to say something fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's both. It's It's definitely both. Could very well be. What's she going to do next? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, I hope we'll find a way to get you back. We have to get you back for season Absolutely. seven. Absolutely. Because, you know, you, you now that you know that you're in every season, we have to keep that trend running. I know. <laughs> I, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm already booked. Set me, you know, just just mark on your calendar for, you know, next season and season after that and the season after that, <laughs> right. you know, until we're old and gray and I'm just writing Hallmark cards. Right, because you just keep writing fucked up shit like every single day. And I think that's a rap song. Yeah. Uh, That's tremendous. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And now, an excerpt from Queen of the Black Coast, as read by Nelson W. Piles. For more information, head on over to knocknafe.com, 
That's K-N-O-C-K-N-A-F-A-Y dot com. Noctafay.com. She gazed up into the face of Conan, who lounged beside her, his black mane stirring in the faint breeze. Belit's eyes were dark jewels burning in the moonlight. Mystery and terror are about us, Conan, and we glide into the realm of horror and death, she said. Are you afraid? A shrug of his mailed shoulders was his only answer. I am not afraid either, she said meditatively. I was never afraid. I have looked into the naked fangs of death too often. Conan, do you fear the gods? I would not tread on their shadow, answered the barbarian conversationally. Some guards are strong to harm others to aid. At least so say their priests. Mitra of the Hyborians must be a strong god, because his people have built their cities over the world. But even the Hyborians fear Set, and Bel, the god of thieves, is a good god. When I was a thief in Zamora, I learned of him. What of your own gods? I have never heard you call on them. Their chief is Krom. He dwells on the great mountain. What use to call on him? Little he cares if men live or die. Better to be silent than to call his attention to you. He will send you dooms, not fortune. He is grim and loveless, but at birth he breathes power to strive and slay to a man's soul. What else shall men ask of the gods? But what of the worlds beyond the river of death? She persisted. There is no hope here or hereafter in the cult of my people, answered Conan. In this world men struggle and suffer vainly, finding pleasure only in the bright madness of battle. Dying their souls enter a gray misty realm of clouds and icy winds to wander cheerlessly throughout eternity. Belit shuddered. Life, bad as it is, is better than such a destiny. What do you believe, Conan? He shrugged his shoulders. I have known many gods. He who denies them is as blind as he who trusts them too deeply. I seek not beyond death. It may be the blackness averred by the Nemedian skeptics, or Krom's realm of ice and cloud, or the snowy plains and vaulted halls of Nordheimer's Valhalla. I know not, nor do I care. Let me live deep while I live. Let me know the rich juices of red meat and stinging wine on my palate, the hot embrace of white arms, the mad exaltation of battle when the blue blades flame and crimson, and I am content. Let teachers and priests and philosophers brood over questions of reality and illusion. I know this. If life is illusion, then I am no less an illusion. Being thus, the illusion is real to me. I live. I burn with life. I love, I slay, and am content. This sample is from the Book in a Bottle series by Bonafide Outlaw Free Press. The first bottle is Queen of the Black Coast by Robert E. Howard, featuring artwork by Brett Bursell and narrated by Nelson W. Piles. Go to www.nognafe.com for more information coming soon.
Well, kiddies, that's another nail in this coffin, but there's room for more of you in Season 7. <laughs> Until next time, maybe leave the lights on. <laughs> All works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyright of their respective creators and may not be used in any form without their permission. Dramatic reading performed by Daniel Foytek. That's me. The voice of the librarian was performed by Nelson W. Piles. The voice of Victoria Bigglesworth Hayes was performed by Amber Collins. The Wicked Library theme was written by Anthony Rosick and performed by Novus. This episode of the Wicked Library featured a custom score by Nico Viteze. Incidental music in this episode was performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com or Steve Montgomery of Dark Mood and was used with their permission. Check the show notes for titles and credits. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production. NinthStory.com Producer, Daniel Foytek. Executive producer and creator, Nelson W. Piles. Music director, Nico Viteze. Art director, Stephen Matico. Full show notes with links and artwork can be found at thewickedlibrary.com forward slash 626. Until next season, this has been Daniel Foytek. Go ahead, leave the lights on. It makes it easier to watch someone breastfeed dead piglets on the train. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Listen, The M Writing Podcast. Society 13, Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time. You're still here listening? That's it. It's over. The season's done. There's no more stories for you right now. Come back in September. We'll see you then.